If you think you're stuck in a doom loop that never lets you move past the 2020 presidential election and all its fallout, think of Clint Hickman. He's the Republican chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors who recently watched one of his tormentors after the election get sentenced to prison. He's a key stakeholder in the county's elections administration, both in 2020, when things went remarkably well, and in 2022, when it was surprisingly bumpy for the county. As a member of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, Hickman tried to reach an agreement with the Arizona House and Senate to review the county's 2020 election results. When the Senate moved ahead on its own, Hickman was part of the county's battles with that chamber over the resulting ballot review. Welcome to The Gaggle, an Arizona politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. And I'm Mary Jo Pitzel. I cover state politics and policy for the Republic. Today, we're talking to Clint Hickman about elections and other important matters in the county. From the still-growing legal tab for former Sheriff Joe Arpaio, to Hickman's views on where things stand with the Arizona Diamondbacks and their stadium wishes, we hear from the chairman. Clint Hickman has had a front-row seat to Arizona's election drama over the last three years, but the supervisor role goes far beyond elections. As the recently elected chairman of the five-member board, Hickman stopped by the gaggle to talk about issues past and present. Mr. Chairman, welcome to the gaggle. Thank you. It's nice to be here with you guys. It seems in some ways that Maricopa County has been the national stand-in for election administration and, and how we deal with the fallout of election denialism. So we want to talk about what this has been like for the county as a government entity. But before we do, we'd like to talk about this in personal terms for a moment. Mm-hmm. Last week, you were in court as a sentence was handed down for a man who had issued threatening messages to both you and to former AG Mark Brnovich. Talk about what it was like in the courtroom and how you felt about the two-and-a-half-year sentence that this man received, the maximum, I believe, or beyond the maximum that is called for. Well, it was a, it was quite the experience. I've never been in a courtroom setting like that. Uh, I think uh, three different times when I was invited to a courtroom, it was for jury duty, and I've never been picked. So this one, to be the focus, actually as a plaintiff with a case brought on by the uh, federal government about interstate harassment of public elected officials. Very different, very, but very, as I made in my statements, it was nice to see our government working. And I reminded everyone who was in the courtroom that there are three separate but equal function of government. The pillars of our democracy is uh, executive, legislative, and judiciary. So, It was nice to see one of them in action. Lord knows, in my role as county supervisor, I've budgeted for the Maricopa County Superior Court System ever since I've been there. And I reminded everybody uh, what I was told. After budgeting for this, democracy is expensive. Uh, Holding on to a republic is expensive. And um, why is it expensive? Well, yesterday was a, a showing of why it's expensive. It's because it's worth it. And I was able to follow this case all the way through to this endpoint. And the only reason why I was able to follow this case all the way through is the threat was turned in to the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. They, in turn, got in touch with, when they deduced that it was coming from 
across state lines. They, they got the FBI involved. And here we are, the resolution of which was we found somebody in Iowa anonymously deciding to take the law and the function of government uh, into his own hands and made a threat. So, and not just to me, but also to, uh, to a couple months later, apparently, uh, Mark Burnovich. I didn't find that out. It was different. It was odd. I have never decided or to act as a victim in this case. I'm, I've tried to become a leader, and that's why I'm actually talking about it. I don't think people understand this was one threat. There was hundreds, and then across the country, thousands. And this is a direct assault on democracy. It is an attempt to frighten good people out of either government service, much less working in elections. And I've lived through this threat. I've seen a sentence handed down. And I'm, you know, almost today, I'm just asking people, don't be frightened. Come in, work an election, Republican, independent, libertarian, Democrat. I don't care. Just be a great citizen come on in and, and work elections and know that somebody like me is going to support you and, and try to make sure we can get through elections like we always have as American citizens. You asked for leniency for the defendant. Why'd you do that? You know, I need to try to lead by example. I, when I took the chairmanship, this is the third time I've been chairman, and I told my chief of staff, hey, this year is going to be about uh, grace and humility and charity and um, if I don't live that, it's worthless. Why am I asking people to be that way and then, and then maybe not hear you know, a message uh, myself? And I wanted to send a message to people. The other thing that was important to me is I was able to look at somebody in the eye, look at how just defeated this man was, got to hear a little bit of an apology a little bit of remorse in his voice and just enough for me to uh, ask the judge, hey, here we are. Thank you to the legal people to get here. It's awfully expensive. Thanks for the time. But I would show as much charity and compassion as, as possible to this man. And Judge Lanza, who is a Trump appointee, thanked me for my comments, thanked the comments of the defense counsel and the defendant, and um, then gave a great speech about this type of behavior cannot stand and he needs to mete out punishment. And yeah, he threw the book at him. Well, Chairman, thank you for discussing all of that. This has been a very personal and difficult issue, not just for yourself, but Supervisor Bill Gates has talked about the stress that he was operating under as well and continues to operate under. There is below the supervisor level, though, the rank-and-file county election workers, for example, and others who work in all kinds of government capacities and the stress that they are operating under as well. The denialist crowd, those who are bent on trying to steer outcomes, it seems it has sort of affected all manner of people in this space. I know that our colleague Sasha Hupka recently spoke to election workers about the perils they face. What has the county done to ensure the safety and peace of mind for those who work, especially in election administration right now? Are we where you would like the county to be? How concerned are you as we head into a presidential election cycle? Well, first of all, uh, what I'd like to write the community and the voters are is uh, 
I hate that at this time in my life we're battle hardening the areas where we have to tabulate votes. This voting tabulation center now has fences, key fobs, and it's almost holds out people that just want to do a job. You know, maybe my mom has been down there counting votes or, or working. So many people's moms and sisters and brothers have been down there giving service to. But we as a board have decided, and the sheriff and the recorder, continue to talk about different ways that we can provide safety to both the workers uh, that work there year-round, to people that go there to work elections, vital jobs, and then volunteers that come down and observe. You think about this. There's Republicans and Democrats that are obligated and statutorily required to observe the process, and they've even been threatened. We, I think, have put a lot more money to this based even on when Helen Purcell was there and guiding us to different different things. We try to pull off elections as, let's say, as frugally and efficiently as we can because it is county taxpayer money paying for this. Uh, but now we're in this wholesale environment where I don't know if there's enough money to throw towards this effort. So I hope the legislature hears that someday. We're putting our Maricopa County Sheriff's officers at risk just to provide protection to people that want to do something like as audacious as dropping off a vote in a uh, lockbox if they decide to come in at 2 in the morning. We, we want to make sure that they're safe. So we are going to continue to put resources towards this. We're continuing to invite the best people in around the country to come here and work for the county uh, in this space. This is the one of the single largest voting districts uh, in the United States. We have incredible systems in order to guarantee the voters out there that they will be safe. I liken it back to my second chairmanship was I was chairman during the 2020 election effort and we ran a safe, fair election during a pandemic where people did not even know what was in the air around them, trying to keep people out of contact, but also providing that human effort that you can come down during a day and look people in the eye and um, be able to cast your vote. And so I'm f very familiar with this after, after especially those three years. I want to stay with this subject just for a moment. Can you describe the balancing act, the way that you puzzle out the need to provide security, often visible security, against the potential for discouraging people from voting and the challenges that, that you face in trying to walk that line and the thinking of the county attorney with all of this as well? Is there any kind of promise of prosecution? Is there anything along those lines that is intended to preemptively discourage people from bad behavior mm -hmm. or a promise of consequences if there is? Well, listen, you know, I, I have very little control other than a budgetary uh, influence when it comes to that. I think that that question is best suited for County Attorney Rachel Mitchell and Sheriff Paul Pinzone. And it's funny, just before this meeting, I was just, I was just at a meeting with Paul Pinzone talking about this very issue. He understands it too. 
some people will see a sheriff's officer or a police officer anywhere around a polling site. And in their community, that seems to be almost suppressive to a vote. For many, many, many years of our country's history, we could not guarantee that that truly wasn't uh, being happened. So we rock a very fine and tight line, even in our even at our election poll sites, I think it was mentioned in the in the news story that our poll workers who feel like their security is at risk also understands that visual. And uh, they are now trained in calming behaviors and to take care of problems where people are already walking through that door quite possibly agitated. And the 2022 election, <laughs> unfortunately, our printers... And uh, printers going down created even more enhanced agitation. So we're looking at all these things, but we're trying to do it in a, in a gentle way. We're trying to make sure that people can understand with, with interviews like you're giving to me today that this is central in our frontal lobes when it comes to the election effort. And there I was today talking about these very issues to, uh, to Paul Penzone. So, and Paul has said and graciously said in the planning, we want your board there. We want you guys to know what we are doing. We want to hear your suggestions and we want to act on them in the best of the ability uh, to provide safety and security to, to this election effort. So we've got Attorney General Chris Mays. She's looking into uh, the aftermath of the 2020 election here in Arizona. Federal Special Counsel Jack Smith, the, the Georgia District Attorney, they have cited evidence coming out of Arizona when they brought their indictments against former President Trump. How does that attention on Arizona with these cases that are playing out nationally complicate your efforts as the county to administer an election that people will have trust in? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, perception is reality, right? And I know that some of us were interviewed by the Justice Department. You know, I haven't talked to the state authorities about that yet. They haven't asked me any clear, concise questions. And man, what an experience in 2020 as chairman during an election and the aftermath of it brought to me and brought to bear. And I, I know Sometimes I want to hold stories back because it's like, man, I could write in an incredible book and uh, maybe even with some cliffhangers in there. But honestly, I do actually need to talk to people right now because of that. It's my job. So I guess I could say living through the 2020, uh, Mary Jo, and living it out loud taught me a lot of things about I got to keep it transparent and visible out to the community. And Maricopa County, I wouldn't have taken this job, and I would definitely not be defending our people if I felt there was shenanigans going on. And mistakes, elections are a people process. They have to be a people process. But as a businessman, the machinery, it can't fail, you know, in this space. The people, the bosses, we can't fail. When we have a failure, we need to make sure that, that we take our time and answer the question correctly and not just jump to it and to try to save our own skins or our own political skins. We have to be, you know, prudent. And that takes a little bit of time. And right now, with the attention span on this, runs every 15 seconds. And we are supposed to come up with the exact answer that we need to have. And we get crushed if something of that answer that is said right in the heat of the moment turns out not to be 
totally true. So what does that do to a person like me? You just slow down and you stop and you, you say, I can't, I can't answer that question yet. And we don't, we don't get any time to try to answer that question. So I couldn't be happier that the focus is on Arizona. I can't. I know the people. These people have been here since Helen Purcell guided them and trained them. I couldn't be happier to represent the election effort. And when we make a mistake, I'm, I'm the guy. The buck stops with me and the buck stops with Bill Gates. And you saw that. The buck stopped with Bill Gates and he took it on the chin over and over and over again and didn't run from that fact. In fact, I remember calling him and saying, Bill, I've lived through this for the 2020 election. You're chairman during the 2022. And basically he said, Clint, stand down. I got this. And look what, look what spears were shoved into him to the point now that he loved this job. He loves doing this job. And now he's not going to run uh, for this job. And I can't blame him for it. I want to talk more directly about the 2022 midterm elections that you've been alluding to on that and the printer problems that marred Election Day. That was a period that especially affected Republican voters and in an environment where trust in election administration was already lowest with that segment of the electorate. How much damage do you think that has done to public confidence that Maricopa County acts as an honest broker in an atmosphere where we're already hearing so much conspiratorial talk of election officials putting their thumbs on the scale. So Ron, you know, this is where I start looking right in the rearview mirror. I'm a, an official that tries to absolutely keep the windshield in front of us and uh, try to learn from our mistakes and uh, look in the rearview mirror. Rearview mirrors are smaller than windshields. But I do have to look really hard back at that. I think that the printer issue, if you can recall, prior to this election, there were people saying, don't trust the U.S. Postal Service to get your, your mail. And there was, a, there was a stress test factor that was going on with certain segments. Um, the moment that we started having printers, we rolled into, listen, not every county tabulates votes on site. This used to be called a thing called a ballot box. We called it drawer three. Please take advantage of drawer three to get these ballots to the central tabulation system that most counties, that's their, that's their plan A. This was the backup plan B. And people didn't want to listen to that. People wanted to st stay in line. People wanted to see their vote get counted. And it's, it's still the same thing. Well, it was a green dot. You know, um, your vote is going to be counted. I uh, appreciated Supervisor Gates or Chairman Gates at that time to hear me and say, hey, we have to act on this immediately. We have to find out what went wrong with that day. And he did that. And we hired someone out of the community, Justice McGregor, who stepped into the breach and said, let me help, help look into this, but be prepared. I don't know if, you know, what the answer is going to be. You guys might look really bad. And she, she did a report under the auspices of the Maricopa County Attorney's Office who stood down. Basically, they said, here's your office. Hire whoever you want. Take a valid, hard look at that. You have time. And she did. And she came back with, there was a sporadic problem with printers that day. And I thought, 
Well, you know what? People can understand that. How many times have we been in our own businesses standing in a line with a printer? So people are going to understand that. Some people have. Other people have not. And, and wired that in with a conspiracy. And believe me, I've been impacted with these thoughts from 2020. I had to live through a conspiracy that I used Trump ballots to burn down barns at my farm. And that's, <laughs> going back to 2020, I thought that is so ludicrous. That is so out there. Now that is going to make people open their minds and go, come on. And that's true in some cases, but I still hear to this day that I burned down my family's business and killed our livestock just so I could. I hate to even bring it up. I, I, here I am bringing this up. And it's like, now, now I'm going to, when we talk about it, it speeds it up again. And here I'm, now I'm the worst guy doing it. So I guess enough to be said about that. That's still something that continues to be talked about on the internet. And Do you want to set the record straight about the, the barn arson? <laughs> Oh, Mary Jo, I, I think it's, I think the mark, it was investigated. There was yeah. arson, people that came out there, they wanted to make sure, the insurance company wanted to make sure they knew the facts about before, before they settled that case. So, uh, the you know, the fire department was out there and the Maricopa County Sheriff's Department was out there because it's an unincorporated county and, but it was a dark day, you know, in my family's business and my, my company. And we learned some things even from that and now we will make sure that people driving skidster loaders do not go into a barn with a, with a piece of equipment that might be on fire underneath the engine cowling and definitely don't pull it next to the plywood where the f jet fans are. So, Well, let's, let's shift gears. Yeah, <laughs> let's. <laughs> the board's been busy this year vetting and approving replacements for lawmakers who have left um, the state legislature. Mm. But your choices are limited by the three names that you get sent from precinct committee members. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear that the board was not necessarily very happy with some of the choices that was presented to it. So talk about this process of replacing lawmakers. There is discussion um, among some lawmakers about running legislation next year that would just cut the county out of the whole replacement process and leave it to the precinct committee people. What are your thoughts on that? Well, th that law was put into effect a couple years back. And actually, the person that worked on that to get this in the hands of the PCs was a very forward-thinking PC himself, and his name is Andy Kunasik. And he, on the board, said, why, why are we just the ones that are just looking at this? There's these people, the PCs are going to have to work to get these people elected in their own districts. Why aren't we hearing from them in a, in a capacity? And that's what it was come up with. Uh, the PCs were able to appoint three people uh, for board consideration. And that should work, right? That is the people that are in that district. And we are now seeing this process gamed. We're seeing this process gamed to the point where even six years ago, I said, you to, told the PCs in that legislative districts and the legislature, hey, at some point, we are going to put an ax murder in your house. This is what's going to happen. If you don't even give us the time to look into these, into these people. So look what has transpired now. Let's just talk about an, a, a pick of three people that came from an LD, and that LD wanted to basically uh, s snub the nose of the legislature 
by putting a person that the legislature took it upon their infinite wisdom to kick out of their own house. And we were censured because the board didn't put that person back in the legislature. Censured. They need to look at it. There needs to be a better way. And I have talked to uh, Senate President Peterson and House Speaker Toma and, and actually reached out to them on all the picks and saying, what would you like to see? I mean, what do you want us to do? You stand down and you let us make this decision and then you rock us with these decisions. Bring these decisions back to your house then if you feel like you can do it. Bring it back to your elections committees and bring these people so they can have an honest discussion in front of your own house to be able to get these appointments if that's what you choose to do. I want to combine two different and yet similar in, in one important respect issues, if I can. Governor Hobbs's decision earlier this summer regarding the future of development around water security, and also Proposition 400, dealing with transportation funding and, and major projects and such. It seems these are issues that can have a disproportionate effect on the West Valley that you represent, that a lot of the existing infrastructure, a lot of the development has already happened in the East Valley, leaving the West Valley more of uh, having an uncertain future at this point. What are the prospects for major infrastructure initiatives in the West Valley? Well, this is where the growth is coming, Ron, and I've been a proud child of the West Valley all of my life. I've seen that myself, that you look over to the East Valley and they, and they get their freeways. And with those freeways comes growth, and both in housing and, and better jobs. And you've seen the build out of Intel. Now you're seeing it with uh, TMC, but also small businesses, uh, small businesses that are coming out here, uh, great places to live. What does that wide open palette for the West Valley look like? And I'm, I'm really glad that I've been able to spend this last decade shaping the growth with the mayors, actually. They are wholly responsible for their planning and development of their own communities. So let's just say I have great hopes that the people that are in the Senate and the House are looking at that at, as with a holistic approach to the West Valley. Look what is going on with what's going on next to the 303 now because they put a road there, the 101, because they put a road there. And housing, why can't we have great housing that will support those, those young families because there's going to be great jobs here? So Governor Hobbs, I will tell you, was uh, incredibly gracious. Before she gave her state of the state as a new, as a new governor, uh, she reached out to me on my cell phone and said, I'm about to drop something on you, and I don't. I hate to do this to you, but there's a water study that's, that has not come out. And she called me because of the unincorporated, and she called Mara Orsborn from Buckeye and said, this is something that we hopefully can work out for your communities. And, and I appreciated that. I've never been reached out to a governor like that before. And I thought that was really gracious on her part, and it puts us in a good mind to start working together. So I'll give her big kudos for that. When it comes to Proposition 400, I am very gratified that it changed. It changed in a way that I think might have some benefit to the West Valley. And the reason why I say that is uh, Mr. Livingston and Mr. Carroll's uh, work in that, burning up the phone lines and saying, we want to be a part of this plan. And it was signed 
by the governor. It's going to come to our board now to get on a ballot. It gives us the opportunity as, as supervisors to talk a little bit about it, but the way it's coming to us is it shall go to the voter. So we get a little bit of a chance to talk about it, a little bit of a chance to maybe put in our opinion on it, and then the voter is going to make the ultimate decision on how, if they want to spend those dollars to come through gas taxes. And I hope the voter gets a good look at this plan. And especially the West Valley voter is going to have something to vote on that has some projects that clearly are stipulated, we hope, for the West Valley. Again, shifting gears, but there was a racial profiling case that's known as the Melendres case um, that was filed against the county under then-Sheriff Joe Arpaio. That's required a lot of changes to sheriff's operations that have topped the costs, I think, are now more than $250 million. So when can county taxpayers expect to be done paying for these <laughs> kinds of matters? And you know, Mary Jo, oh, okay, I, that's a, that's a that's something that Sheriff Penzone and I were talking about as well. This has been a tough, tough road for the Maricopa County taxpayer. We are paying for a monitor, a federal monitor to overlook not just Sheriff Joe uh, when he was there on things that occurred in his in his tenure, but actually Sheriff Penzone is dealing with it as well. And he just got a contempt order. It is a tough thing to talk about. A federal judge has uh, sanctioned the county and has put a monitor, and it's really tough that we don't get a, even a chance really to take a look at those invoices uh, that come. It's just the Maricopa County taxpayer has to pay them. And uh, hopefully we can all take a look at some point that is, is, this, uh, is this an order that is, has created? I think so. I think they, it's, it's created an ability for the sheriff's department to do a much better job in some certain areas, and that sheriff's department is doing a better job in those areas. I think it's had its effect, and um, we definitely have more people and more spaces, but when has it become an, a call towards a bureaucracy of, of keeping our sheriff's officers pushing paper and pencils instead of maybe actual crime suppression? That's where I'd like to see. I'd like to see more cops on the street doing their jobs and preventing crime instead of weighing in with a pencil on what they did for that day. Do you think Penzone's been held back from doing that because of the uh, requirements oh, so, of the monitor? Is, uh, and is he doing everything that Listen, he can? I, I have a very good relationship with, with Sheriff Penzone. I had a great relationship with Sheriff Arpaio. But I came into this knowing that the county was in trouble. And I would like to be able to someday budget for a county uh, sheriff's effort that goes towards uh, helping our communities. And sometimes I'm thinking desk work really doesn't help our communities very often. The county's position on the 2020 audit from the Arizona Senate roiled relations with the county, to say the least. And you've made references here to conversations with current legislative leadership. So how are the county's relations with the state legislature at this point? <sighs> Listen, we're just like any little brother, right? We are a subdivision of state government. If it wasn't royaled, it wouldn't be a family business, would it? I've, I come from a family business. We are always going to have our struggles. If we're doing our jobs right, we, we should have struggles. But we always need to have discourse. We do not need discord amongst uh, family members. We need, to, we need to get these things. As you can see, people probably are listening and going, I thought, I thought that dude hated the legislature. They, those, guys, those guys tried to put that dude in jail. 
you know, I try to get past that. You know, again, the windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror. My relationships with some legislators are always going to be troubled after those actions, but there's new legislators coming in that want to affect a vision, and I need to hear that. I'm elected to be open-minded for my district, and I always want to get this state to a good place. I'm a, I'm a fourth-generation native. Legislators come and go. Board of Supervisors come and go. I'm still going to have a business out in the West Valley, and I hope the legislators understand that. And I want, I want the best for this state, and I want the best for this county. The Arizona Diamondbacks have wanted new or updated digs for more than a decade now. The county, not the city of Phoenix, is the primary governmental partner for Chase Field and what happens in that area. Before the start of this season, the team indicated they hoped to have a plan to keep them in Arizona and sort out what that means for the Valley by this summer. Summer is running out. What can you tell us about where things stand as it relates to the the baseball team? Let's just say, I think, to a person, both at the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and uh, the city of Phoenix, we want to keep the Diamondbacks here. Uh, We want to make sure they have a comfortable home. We want to make sure that they continue to grow as as an industry in Major League Baseball. I am the first person to say, as a business side, I want to hear. I want to be a part of those discussions, but I also, and I think the Diamondbacks heard this, out of my group, we do not derive tax revenue out of Major League Baseball playing in Chase Field. The city of Phoenix does through their ticket prices and and the footprint that's right there. I'm very proud of Chase Field. I'm glad that it was built. I'm glad the Diamondbacks won a World Series here many years ago. I hope that they are continually to try to progress in that. There's nothing that gets people in the seats than have fielding great teams. So hopefully that continues to transpire. But talks are at a formative stage right now. And the city of Phoenix realizes they have a fantastic ability to affect change. And how can we give that to them in a way that also transpires well for the Maricopa County taxpayer? We, we built it. Maricopa County taxpayers built that. And if it needs to look different uh, to work into the city of Phoenix's needs, then maybe they can have that option. And the Diamondbacks, they should be able to have that option too. Uh, There are facilities that are built nationwide now that are wholly owned by the owner of those facilities. So let's just say my, my mind is open, my eyes are open, my ears are open, and I will continue to make sure that the Maricopa County taxpayer. We built that facility. It's on county land. And, uh, but what can we do to keep the Diamondbacks there? But it probably is not going to, it's not going to be their tax dollars. Clint Hickman, thanks for taking time to chat with us. If people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Well, Ron, you know, I gave up social media a long time ago based on uh, threats. I'm not a big believer in social media. They can always call my office at the county um, and get in touch with me if they have issues. Uh, Please, please do. Um, And uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate the invitation. And it's finally good to be sitting in this room with you. I've listened to a lot of shows over the years, and it's very appreciative that I finally get a chance to to look at you guys eye to eye and spend some time with you.
That is it for this week, Gaggle listeners. Have questions about today's episode or topics you'd like us to cover on the show? Send us a message at 602-444-0804 or a voice memo to thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. This episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto. Script writing and research by me, Mary Jo Pitzel, and Amanda Liberto. News direction from Kathy Tulamello and audio oversight by Kaylee Monahan. Music comes from Universal Production Music. Never miss an episode of The Gaggle by subscribing to us wherever you listen. If you learned something new today, be sure to share this episode with a friend. You can also leave us a review and rate us five stars. You can follow The Gaggle on social media at AZC Podcasts. I'm at Mary J. Pitzel, that's P-I-T-Z-L. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, that's H-A-N-S-E-N. The Gaggle is an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com production. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.